Well, promises. Very easy to make, but often quite hard to live out. Let me give you a couple of examples, and uh, particularly from today, I don't know if any of you were here this morning at our remembrance service. We remembered the promises this morning, made particularly by 44 Claygate men, aged between 17 and 42, and among them, three brothers, who in 1914 went to Isha Hall to sign up to serve king and country. Men full of commitment, but perhaps not fully cognizant of what exactly they were signing up for, only to experience the reality of those promises on the front line, even unto death for king and country. Or take the example of marriage, amidst the guests, the dress, the cake, the celebrations, there is a relatively short but life-changing, powerful moment, the making of wedding vows. Man and woman make lifelong promises to each other, to share together in unity all that life might bring, to obey, to sacrifice, for better, for poorer, for richer, for worse. The enormity of these vows might be felt on the wedding day, but the reality of them is only experienced as the married life continues. Because making lasting promises has a far greater reaching impact beyond the point of saying vows. Lasting promises have to be lived out, not just made. Within marriage, couples often choose to renew those wedding vows, to reaffirm the commitment, sometimes at a point of great celebration, a milestone anniversary, but at other times are at a point of great trouble, perhaps, of bereavement or separation. So tonight, as we study this next passage in Exodus, we're looking at God renewing his promise to his people. And I wonder, as we look at what God promises, what do our promises to him look like? How can we ensure that our promises to him are as lasting as his are to us? Now, as we've been journeying through Exodus, both this autumn and last autumn, we've had this revelation of God, his name, his attributes, his law, his plans for redemption. And in this passage, we see God renewing his covenant with his people, revealing more to us about his character and more to us about our response to him. So the theme of tonight's sermon is a promise renewed. So I think we need to take a step back and review the story so far. What had God promised? Well, we need to look first back to Genesis, where God first made a covenant with Abraham, sort of 600 years prior to tonight's encounter. And in chapter 17, God said this to Abraham. I have made you a father of many nations. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants to be your God. The whole land of Canaan I will give as an everlasting possession to you. Now this covenant was then shared with Moses when God revealed himself from within a burning bush and he promised to free the Israelites from the oppression of the Egyptians and to bring them again to a good and spacious land. And then God revealed his most holy of names. I am who I am. This is my name forever, by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. So in both of these covenants, to Abraham and then to Moses, there's a promise of a new land and an ever-present God. 
And as the story of the Israelites continued, we saw God's saving power through the Passover and the journey across the Red Sea. And as the journey to the Promised Land continued, there were plenty of challenges along the way. So God then gave his law. And we looked in recent weeks at the Ten Commandments and the laws of justice and mercy. And this was God expressing how his people were to live in relationship with him and with each other in response to his saving grace, not to earn it. So we get tonight to sort of the end of three and a half chapters of law giving, and it feels a little bit like there's a lot to be done if the people are to follow God's commandments. It's almost the picture of a restoration of a beautifully designed but sort of run-down and dilapidated building by a bunch of unskilled labourers with some ineffective tools. So at this point, God speaks no more about what the Israelites need to do, but what he will do. They will not fulfill their side of the covenant with him by human efforts, but by obedience to God in a faithful relationship with him. So as God's covenant is renewed between him and the Israelites, we're going to look at this passage under two headings. Firstly, the promise of God And then secondly, the response of the people. And we're going to look at both then and now. Understanding the context of the renewal of the covenant in the Israelites' shoes. What did God promise then and how did the Israelites respond? And for us, as descendants of Abraham countless generations on, what does our faithful and everlasting God promise now and how are we to respond So let's start with the promise of God. And I want to share three elements of the promise of God that's uh, revealed in this passage tonight. Firstly, God promised that he had a plan. Have a look in verse 20, where it says, The plan is to bring you to the place I have prepared. That is entirely consistent with the promise made to both Abraham and Moses. And to fulfill that plan... God secondly promised his presence. Notice in verse 20, it is he who will bring them to the promised land in his strength, not by human effort alone. And the passage continues then with two different pictures of God's presence. The angel in verse 20 and the terror in verse 27. Now, I don't want us to get too bogged down in the terminology here, because we probably have quite a good understanding of the word angel, but the word terror might have scope to be misunderstood. Rather, let's look at the language of the two descriptions. Of the angel, verse 21, my name is in him. Verse 22, if you listen carefully to what he says and do all that I do, Name, he, and I are all used to describe the angel or the messenger who speaks for God and as God. Of the terror, no mention of he, only I. This is the power of God protecting his people. But also a loving God in verse 29. You know, he knows how much his people can handle at once. And little by little, he promises to strengthen and increase them, ready for the possession of the land. God had a steadfast plan and promised his multifaceted presence to enable that plan to be fulfilled. But within the promise, 
There's a third element, and it's a bit of a but. God's promise came with a condition, stated twice in this final chunk of chapter 23. And that condition is worship only me. It's the only issue on which this passage instructs what the Israelites were to do as part of this covenant. God had been faithful to his people, and he expected complete fidelity in return. And why? We'll look at verse 33. Because he knew that the worship of other gods would certainly be a snare. It would be the attractive-looking honey trap that would take the Israelites off course. So God chose to renew his vow with his people following the rescue of them and this time of transition as they journeyed towards the promised land. He showed that from generation to generation, he would be faithful to his plan alongside his people through it all, but he asked for their hearts to worship only him. Now we know the story didn't end here. The Israelites didn't remain faithful and the law failed as the power of sin prevented them from living as God had intended. But God remained faithful to their descendants and we too can be assured of his faithfulness because we worship a God who keeps his promise. See, God then moved into phase two, an everlasting threefold promise. Firstly, God had a saving plan in Jesus. One of the most well-known verses in the Bible, John 3.16, says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And it continues, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. You see, God's covenant did not just start with Abraham, but actually right back at the beginning of creation. God created a world that he loved, and he had a plan from the very beginning for his people to be in relationship with him, an everlasting relationship. And he so loved the world that he came down to dwell in it, among his people, in Jesus. And God's plan to restore this broken relationship with man was fulfilled when Jesus bore the sins of the world on the cross. So God had a saving plan. Secondly, God has promised his continued presence in the power of the Holy Spirit. As Jesus was on his final journey to the cross, he said to his disciples, I will ask the Father and he will give you another counsellor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. See, we can experience God's presence alongside us day by day by asking the Spirit to come into our lives to be our counsellor, our strength, our guide. Because like the Israelites, the power of sin is still a challenge to us and we will not remain faithful to God by human effort alone. Praise God for the assurance of the continued presence of the power of the Holy Spirit. And thirdly, though there remains a but in God's promise, it is an eternal condition described in Revelation as the ultimate destination and the final fulfillment of the plan, the new Jerusalem. Revelation 21 verses 2 and 3 say this, 
I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. This is the most amazing vision and hope for us, to be joyfully worshipping only God in the place that he has planned for us, in his continued presence. So God renewed his promise to the Israelites to assure them of his faithfulness, even though the journey was not smooth. Let us be assured too that whatever life holds, we can hold firm to the promise of God, his saving plan, his continued presence, and his eternal condition. But how can we hold firm? Well, let's move to the second half of the passage, the beginning of chapter 4, to look firstly at the response of the Israelites before considering how we are to respond. You see, the passage reveals God's people responding to the promise in three ways. Firstly, in obedience, verses 3 and 7. God revealed his law and his promise to Moses, and Moses then shared it with all the Israelites, and twice they responded, we will do everything the Lord says. We will obey. And I think at that stage there was no doubt that that was from their heart. But perhaps not an obedience offered from their own ability or their desire to obey, but in response to God's greatness and his faithfulness. By agreeing to obey, they were offering themselves to live wholeheartedly in obedience to God, seeking his will and living only for him. Secondly, they responded with sacrifice. Now, verse 5 details both fellowship offerings and burnt offerings being given to God. Burnt offerings were a sign of holding nothing back from God. And it's good to look back to the story of Abraham to to remind ourselves of what this was like. You see, Abraham was called to offer his only son Isaac as a burnt offering to God to test this willingness to hold nothing back from the Lord. So the burnt offerings were a bit of a part of God's condition of worship only me, give me everything. And when Abraham showed his willingness to offer um, Isaac as a burnt offering, The Lord said, I now know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. So they responded, offering sacrifice to God. And thirdly, they responded in unity, in togetherness. We see the words, with one voice. The Lord's words shared with Moses on Mount Sinai were about how his people were to live firstly in relationship with him, but secondly, with each other. And so by responding in unity, they were making the covenant not only to God, but with their fellow men to live together according to God's law. Now we've seen that God has remained faithful in his promise to us. So we too should be called to respond to him in the same threefold way as the Israelites did. But as for them, this too will pose challenges for us. So we too are called to respond in obedience, worshipping only God and not being snared by false idols. But in this busy, advanced world that we live in, this is tough. There are attractive gods presented to us at every turn. Fashion, lifestyle, power, acceptability. 
and they work in the same way as God knew that those false gods would work to ensnare the Israelites, causing them to sin against him. Also, there are bits of God's word that we might not like too much, or we just find too hard to achieve. Teaching on tithing, sexual morality, living in relationship with others. But when we struggle to obey, we need to call on God's continued presence and ask the power of the Holy Spirit to be at work in our lives, because we will always struggle to obey by human effort alone. And we don't need to anyway when we have the promise of the power of the Holy Spirit alongside us, offered freely to us, just as we are. So we're called to respond in obedience. Secondly, we're called to respond with sacrifice, holding nothing back. But again, we're challenged by this. Giving God all of our time, our talents, our money, everything for his purposes Because let's be honest, we like to keep some hold of it, some of it for ourselves. We like to do with it what we want. But God promises that when we give wholeheartedly and sacrificially, the blessings we will receive will be tenfold, far beyond anything we can achieve by ourselves. And thirdly, we're called to respond in unity, to be together as one voice, as part of a serving Christian community. Paul, in his first letter to the Corinthians, speaks of the church as the body of Christ. He says this, that though each part may have different functions, each must work together. Because if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. But if one part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. See, Christians are not designed to live in isolation, but together. But this too can be a challenge for us, though because it requires vulnerability and honesty. It requires removing the rejoicing Sunday face to reveal the troubled or frazzled Monday to Friday face underneath it. But God's promises are such that if we live together in unity of faith, we will be strengthened and encouraged by each other and will experience even more of God through shared fellowship. The Israelites responded in obedience, with sacrifice, and in unity in response to God's faithfulness. Let us respond by it like them as we worship the same faithful God who keeps his promise to us. Now, our passage concluded with the covenant being sealed with the sprinkling of blood. We take a look at verse 8. It says, This is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you. And as we read these words, we remember Jesus and the blood shed on the cross for each and every one of us. You see, God has entered into an eternal relationship with his people, as seen from Genesis to Revelation. He gave the law to his people to enable them to live in relationship with him and with each other. But the law failed as the power of sin over God's people prevented them from living as God had intended. So God made a lasting covenant with his people through Jesus, putting an end to the separation between God and man. And that covenant too was sealed with the shedding of blood. God spared nothing for us. Nothing for you, nothing for me. He held nothing back. He gave his only son. He doesn't ask us to do anything that he hasn't done himself. And God made his ongoing presence available to us through the power of the Holy Spirit. 
but God's condition is that as we await the new Jerusalem, we enjoy an enduring marriage with him. Not a bit of an on-off fling. So how will you respond to God's saving plan, his continued presence and his eternal condition? For those seeking to understand more about God and his saving plan through Jesus, are you ready to commit? Because making a promise to God is as simple as saying sorry, thank you and please. Sorry for the things I've done in my life that kept me away from you. Thank you for being faithful to your promises. And please come into my life through the presence of your Holy Spirit. And if that's a prayer you've never prayed and you would like to pray, please do come and talk to one of our prayer ministry team. We would be delighted to help you start that journey with God. For those of you who already know and love Jesus, but perhaps the relationship's a little bit too casual at the moment, it's a bit rocky, perhaps it's a bit on-off, do you need to renew your vows to him? Do you need to reaffirm your commitment? If that's the case, share with him the false gods that ensnare you. Remember his faithfulness and ask for more of his presence in your life to enable you to keep your eyes fixed on him. Let me leave us all with three questions to consider. Firstly, is there one area in your life where God is calling you to more obedience? particular sin that you struggle with, a modern age God that's got a bit too much of a hold of you, do you need to hand these to God in obedience to him? Secondly, is there one area in your life where God is calling you to more sacrifice? Perhaps an issue relating to time or money or a general awareness of holding yourself back from God. Do you need to put something in God's hands rather than keep hold of it yourself? And thirdly, is there one area in your life where God is calling you to more unity? Is there a struggle or a challenge that you're facing alone with which you could be supported by Christian brothers and sisters? Making lasting promises, like those made in marriage or in the line of duty, are born of a desire to commit. But they're only lived out in two ways. By daily reminding ourselves who we have committed ourselves to and by daily reminding ourselves what we have committed to do. As we seek to follow Jesus more nearly in our lives, let this passage from Exodus remind us that we are committed to a faithful God who keeps his promises of a saving plan, his continued presence and eternal condition of communion with him. And let us respond with a heart to obey him hold nothing back from him, and live in unity with fellow believers. Amen.